This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're joined today at Knowledge at Wharton by Harbir Singh and also Mike Yusim. They're both management professors here at Wharton. And they're going to discuss their new book, uh, which is about management and strategy. Mm-hmm. And it's actually called The Strategic Leader's Roadmap, Six Steps for Integrating Leadership and Strategy. Thanks for coming in today to, good to be talk here. with us. Thank you. Um, good leadership or good strategy, um, I think one of the main points of the book is that some companies have really good leadership, they fail on their strategy, and vice versa. Some have great strategy and fail in leadership. And it's the integration of the two that you talk about in this book Mm -hmm. as being so important. Could you each give me a sort of nutshell view of why that's so important and and why companies aren't doing it today? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on leadership over the past few years as an evergreen topic. But if you look at uh, Microsoft and Steve Ballmer in his term, Microsoft was dominant. Steve Ballmer was seen as a visionary leader and inspired the troops. In fact, his meetings were legendary, you know, the passion and the inspiration and so on. But in his tenure also, they missed the boat on the mobile applications of Microsoft and actually opened the door for many other players in the industry. And it has taken some time to try to respond to that. So that's an example of very, very good leadership, but really not having enough strategic sort of inspiration and discipline. And in fact, what, we seem to, what we've learned is that the ideas coming in on the mobile side were actually set aside in favor of the desktop. So sometimes a strategic choice can limit the benefits of very effective leadership and vision. And Steve, to pick up on that, and going back a little bit in time, Harbir and I have often taught almost back-to-back in in mid-career programs, strategy first, as it should come first, and then leadership second. And we've often cross-talked a bit, but uh, a year and a half ago, we sat down with the chief executive of uh, Nissan, also the CEO of Renault, and came to know quite a bit about the Nissan turnaround, which is one of the great turnarounds of the modern era. Japanese auto producer was pretty much going off a cliff back in 1999, not because it did not have a good turnaround strategy. It actually had one. But the incumbent top team at the time just couldn't seem to make it work. So good strategy, but the uh, thinness of the leadership at the top uh, in terms of making things happen, driving change through the organization, ultimately uh, crippled the organization. And that is when Nissan turned to Renault for a big cash infusion, uh, $4 billion counting. And Nissan brought in Carlos Ghosn, became became Nissan's new chief executive officer. His strategy was uh, more than what he had when he came in there. But his leadership was very different. And from that experience, looking at that case in some depth, came to really appreciate that you've got to have a great strategy. You've got to have a great leadership to go with it. If you're a little bit short on one, you're going to be in trouble. So starting about a decade and a half ago or so, there was a lot of talk about strategy and execution. Strategies, very, very important. But the idea was it's not that hard to come by, meaning that 
not that it's easy. Lots of companies have good strategies. And companies with good strategies, many of them weren't doing that well because they couldn't execute. How does your idea of, of, of the marriage between strategy and leadership differ or complement that mm -hmm. whole idea? So execution was, uh, was the rage, you know, yeah. 10 years ago. And particularly with the financial crisis, even more so, let's squeeze out costs, let's become more efficient and so on. And clearly very important. But what we are arguing is that you need inspirational vision from the leader, but you also need a very clear value proposition for the customer. And then execution is sort of the way you can deliver value, create value. And so in some sense, if you look at, again, the Nissan case, what you see is we, we call it executable initiatives. So the value proposition that you decide to have, how are you going to actually navigate through your organization and get the best possible execution? And we also realize that strategy is owned by everyone. So we have a concept in the book called layering and leadership. And in the Nissan case, layering leadership was they had cross-functional teams which were largely people in their 40s and late 30s and even people reporting to them who kind of brought up ideas that fitted with the architecture that Carlos Ghosn had created along with his senior team. So the idea is execution is not just following orders, it's actually creating and enhancing the value proposition to the client and getting the ideas from people throughout the organization. So you want, you want, you want staff to have a strategy on how to implement the strategy. How to implement the strategy. And, but then as a very kind of lean set of initiatives that you pursue so there's not, it doesn't get frittered away or lost in the confusion, so the or people also know what they're contributing to, and that's important. Another example, actually, is when P&G bought Gillette. They bought Gillette at a very, very high price because it was an auction. Most people thought there was not much value left. Gillette was already dominant. But what P&G ended up doing with Gillette was actually creating a whole new set of, uh, you know, shaving creams and other uh, sort of assorted products that go along with the shaving equipment, but also a better supply chain. So it's really how you link the value proposition with execution within the organization. And then leadership that can kind of summarize what the key direction is. So people are not kind of... Uh, you know, going in opposite directions or frittering away their energy. You know, Harbir, Procter & Gamble offers a really nice example of why we need to think about execution plus. So in the case of the acquisition of Gillette, uh, as I recall, it was a more than $40 billion deal. It was a huge decision. The then chief executive, A.G. Lafley, he needed a lot of thinking through. He needed good counsel. He needed smart people that would work with him. And in that particular case, he turned to his own board of directors. And you wouldn't think of a board normally as uh, getting into the, the mechanics of, of an acquisition, how the pricing, how they were going to keep the CEO of Gillette if Gillette did come into Procter & Gamble. But the board of A.G. Lafley at the time had six former CEOs on it. And their leadership experience, their leadership background, their leadership instincts proved vital for A.G. Lafley's decision to go through with the acquisition. To generalize that out, I think we were all, most of our readers uh, and certainly our viewers, recall the book by Larry Bossidy and Ram Sharan, Execution, 
a bestseller, deservedly so, because it was really about taking your vision and your strategy and bringing it into reality. And they were quite critical of several companies uh, that they name in the book for having failed to do that. Harbir and I were very influenced by that line of thinking, of course. What we've, in a sense, added here is um, a call to take a look at people in the firm, on the board, below the chief executive, below the division heads, not just for whether they can, quote, execute, but whether they have a range of leadership capacities, like inspiring people. You wouldn't think of that as part of execution. But if you move into then a broader terrain of leadership, uh, good decisions, timely actions, uh, listening to the customer in all kinds of ways, leadership, in our view, is a more encompassing concept that has to be matched up with strategy. If you got both, we think you're going to go in the right direction. You, you need someone that can get that employee engagement yeah. going. Yeah, exactly. And also a decision process. We kind of talk about deciding deliberate, deliberatively, and the idea is that the quality of discourse matters in a company. You know, and there has to be sort of enough openness to new ideas, but also a sense of selection and then proceeding forward. Um, many companies struggle with this. Either you have kind of a top-down sort of flow of decisions where people execute but they listen for direction, or perhaps bottom-up. But I think to allow for kind of healthy debate and discourse, but then choosing a direction and moving, we talk about deliberatively deciding. I think that's an important piece. So it's, it's always good to learn from companies that have done it well and been successful. It's also interesting to get lessons from companies that haven't done it well. So what would be an example of a company that had a good strategy but failed because of leadership and then also the opposite? What would be mm -hmm. an example mm -hmm. of a company that had good leadership but their strategy just fell short? Steve, to pick a contemporary example, Wells Fargo, much in the news for apparently um, a number of the staff members creating fictional accounts for customers, actually using the customers' names, and in some cases even signing their signature inappropriately on these uh, accounts that were being created. And human nature being human nature, we know a lot about the human condition. Behavioral economists and psychologists have been looking at it for a long time. Uh, would tell you in advance, if you're a leader who is listening, that if you put forward a very tough set of objectives, and by the way, all companies do that. All companies have a strategy that are stre with stretch goals. We've got to increase um, return on equity by 5% in the next uh, 12 months. That's a pretty modest one right there, but many companies uh, go well beyond that. And then, in our view, leadership at the top, in the case of Wells Fargo, just think of what leadership means. It means you set the tone, create the mindset, absolutely, especially in financial services, but every company really create a climate of integrity. And then within those, call them boundary conditions, then push people to get the job done of, of expanding the number of accounts at the bank. But it would appear, let's just say, good strategy and aggressive strategy, all companies, uh, financial services beyond, are growing, want to grow, and set tough targets as they should. But then we got to think about as a leader, what's going to happen when people translate the demand upon them for the end of month or end of quarter results if we don't have an ethical climate, a code of ethics, a, uh, a policy of integrity first. And so predictably, with a bit of a shortcoming there in the leadership, uh, people did what 
you could almost anticipate without having to be inside the company, they would do and, and did do. So a good strategy, take existing customers, sell them additional products, just like with the, with, with the uh, razor blades, take men's grooming products and oh, add right. them on. So strategy, good, but execution, or rather leadership, yeah. big, big, uh, big, big failure. Yeah. Um, which was costly, too, we're now finding out. Uh, we're, and probably more than we know right now, it's, yeah. got, it's got a ways to play out. Okay. And on the other side? So we have the example of, uh, besides, of course, Microsoft that I talked about earlier with Steve Ballmer's inspirational leadership, but not necessarily the best strategic choices in the new products, very good in the existing products. I think there is, uh, if you look at Daimler and its acquisition of Chrysler, Jürgen Schrempf was a celebrated CEO. He had gained a lot of momentum selling, asset, uh, selling assets that were not related to automobiles. Uh, and then he tried to answer the question of the analysts as to what's the U.S. presence and where's your mid-sized product. And Daimler had tried for years, and he decided to go, you know, being sort of a strong leader, let's go and make a big statement. And against perhaps a lot of internal debate, bought Chrysler. And that turned out to be a leader who was very strong, had you know a good track record, kind of committing to a transaction that ended up losing a lot of value. It was bought for $37 billion and sold nine years later for $7.5 billion. It was, for a company as successful as Daimler, with a high quality management, it's a very good example of you know just not pursuing, not surfacing the right strategy. And, and not being able to execute. Harbir, I think it's a great example on this terrain of strategy plus leadership. When the announcement was made that Chrysler would be acquired, or actually I think technically it was just simply a merger, uh, but it was acquired by Daimler, Jürgen Tremp at one point publicly said, uh, for the first time in my life, looking at the pay of the CEO of Chrysler at the time, I'm feeling poor. And that was a statement that the, the, the pay structure for European executives is much lower, much more modest compared to American. That was the tip of an iceberg. Uh, sailors, beware now, because um, that should have told you something, that the, the way of life, not just compensation, but the way um, orders are given, the way people convene a meeting, mm -hmm. all in this terrain of leading and acting, mm -hmm. uh, they were very different. Different cultures, different, different cultures, corporate cultures, different in addition mindset. to national cultures, I guess. And yeah. Harbir is, is often citing statistics on the uh, amazing rate of failure of even friendly acquisitions. Yes. Uh, so even though it can look to a strategist at a company, this is going to be a, a good merger. Right. The failure to look at the leadership piece is, I think, often uh, behind the, the high rate of failure. Mm. The parts are are not going to lead to a greater whole without the right leadership. And, and I think the the important point there, if we look at the dialogue that has taken place in the world of published books on strategy and leadership, they're very segmented. You have books on strategy that are very kind of analytic and conceptual and, you know, the beautiful strategies that you can get from them. Books on leadership very much on inspiration and, you know, engagement, uh, being part of something larger than yourself. And I think the actual integration of the two uh, is extremely important. And we discovered that really in our teaching, as Mike was saying, we had an audience that wanted to know about both. And we wrote the book really based on the teaching materials we developed for that. So 
would it be correct to say that better than having consciously having some managers who were really good leaders and another group that were really good at strategizing and having them on a team, it's better to have them all sort of trained in, in both things. I'm assuming you, you would say that. And then and that's that, that leads to my next question, which I think is so interesting, is a, a premise of the book is that these skills can be taught, right? Because we're talking about these legendary leaders. It's easy to think, well, you know, yes, all you have to do is be Steve Jobs be, be to be Steve successful, Jobs. you know, now go to it. You know, it's like right. buy low, sell high. Okay. Right. Right. It's very, right. very easy advice, but how do you do it? Uh, but we'll but you're saying that you can actually teach these skills in both strategy and leadership, which I think um, is is really interesting for companies mm-hmm. that, that want to think this through and do something about it. You know, if you think about a starting career in, in business or really at any organization, some people are on a strategy team or they're in strategy consulting with a company. Other people might be running a, an office or a division uh, later, if not sooner. And early on, you, you might be more focused on strategy and all the issues there uh, over here. But then over here, you may be more concerned, how do you get people to show up at work and not quit? And how do you pay them? And how do you motivate them to get the job done. But as people move up into uh, the middle ranks and certainly above, unequivocally, you've got to be strategic in thought and you've got to lead well because all those functions now are are in effect coming together. And uh, with that, uh, we've come to feel that we are not fully servicing or we're doing a disservice if people are leaving from uh, our many, many different forms where we work with people if we don't really make the argument later on, if not sooner, whatever you begin in, it might be more strategy, it might be more managing, you're really going to have to become great at both, and we offer a couple avenues for doing that. Do you want to talk about those avenues a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I think just to, and I'll turn it over to Mike on learning how to be a good leader, but I just wanted to elaborate on the earlier point, which is, that uh, depending on your career choice, you're not going to be in both. You're going to start maybe typically in operations in some way. Maybe you join a consulting firm. But I think what people have to recognize is that they have to build a larger skill set. And the, But then what is that skill set? And I think that's what this book is about. So, for yeah. example, if you are typically in operations, you should be thinking about what's the value proposition to the client because that's part of your responsibility and you're becoming a better strategic leader that way. But also you need to think about a very crisp statement of strategy. That's what we talk about in the book, that often strategy statements are 10, 15 PowerPoint pages. And what Carlos Ghosn had was essentially a half page Mm -hmm. version, which was these are the four profit drivers. And I think we're trying to, what we're trying to suggest is if you're in operations, you need to understand that you really have to have a crisp view of what drives profit in your business and what's your value proposition. On the other side, if you're on strategy or finance or a staff function, you need to think about executable decisions you know, and look ahead to execution. What are the initiatives that best represent these strategies? And I think that's how people can learn because you're only in one part, but you're trying to prepare for a larger role and be good at both inspiring people, strategizing, and executing. So how do you do all those? So stretch things? yourself all along yeah, during from, your career. From early in your career. Learn from, from peers, your, learn from people who you, mm-hmm. who you can learn from as mentors. And Steve, here are the three avenues that we emphasize. They're pretty obvious as soon as I say them. But to get to them, we do describe uh, a young 
a manager named John Chambers in the book who had worked with a company that a lot of people don't even remember, Wang Instruments, which was there sort of in the early days of the digital revolution. Huge success, but it did a total belly flop and went out of business after a couple years of extraordinary growth. And John Chambers, from that experience, uh, looking back on it, and he, was, he lost his job. He was on the street. Uh, he said, uh, you know, I've got a better appreciation now for why a company really has to know where it's going, where the market's changing, where all the value-added propositions are going to be when especially all these disruptive technologies are coming along. And I've got to have a workforce that's ready to, in that case, change quickly, agilely. Uh, Wang apparently had neither of those capacities. So John Chambers, hired by Cisco, uh, soon after he was in there, became chief executive and ran Cisco for 20 years. And he has said, we talked to him as well, that really three avenues are critical, not only for him, but, and we have picked this up from others as well, for combining those two functions that Harbir just described. One is just think about it, study it, pick up the book by execution, uh, uh, called Execution by Basidi and Ram Charan, uh, Larry Basidi and Ram Charan. Uh, take a course, uh, an online course, maybe a, a mid-career course, that has strategy and leadership somehow combined or at least as part of the general program. Read about it, think about it, watch people come and go. Number two, really good to find coaches and mentors, people who know a lot about that. So famously, John Chambers, when Cisco with the digital collapse back in 0001, when the internet had a, a big hiccup and seemed to get itself into a lot of trouble, uh, the famous GE chief executive, Jack Wells, called John up and John Chambers and said, John, did you learn anything? And Chambers said, well, it's been a hellish experience. And Chambers, uh, Welsh said, well, think what you've gone through, and I'm coaching you right now. Uh, think what you've gone through and don't let that happen again. And because you went through it, you're probably not going to let that happen again. And then finally... John Chambers, as that market changed hugely over 20 years, making connectors and switches and all the hardware that drives the Internet, uh, he has repeatedly had to learn how to lead by literally doing it. So he concluded, for example, it's in our book, at one point he, <laughs> a lot of ideas were down there in the engineering ranks and they just weren't getting up to those who made the final sign-off and whether to go with them. So he radically restructured how decisions were made in Cisco uh, because he just he looked around him, looked around and said, "Look, we got a better way to do it. Let's go with it." And thus, think about it, read about it. Number one, get coaches and mentors. Number two, and number three, just get out there, put up your hand, take a job that requires both a leadership skill set and an ability to think strategically. What haven't I asked you that's important to know about your book? I'll give you each a shot at adding to this. The, the book actually has a very global perspective. So we also talk about Jack Ma from Alibaba and the growth of Alibaba. And in that, we, it, it, he is very much a strategic leader. And he is uh, what he creates is a agility in the organization, adaptability. But that's because he's empowered his leaders to address particular strategic problems. So one is the global part. I think the other part is just that um, there is a protocol, and even in the case of Carlos Ghosn, we go back in his history, and he was running Michelin in North America where he developed a template 
which he then brought with him. Uh, it was not conscious, but he actually used it when he was deployed, uh, when he was sent to uh, Nissan from Renault. So over time, you build your sort of repertoire of uh, ways of managing and linking them to strategy. And Steve, I think I would add, coming from an interview we conducted with the chief executive of India's largest non-state-owned bank, it's a bank called ICICI. Um, Chanda Kochar is the chief executive today, uh, recently named by Fortune as the fifth most powerful women in business in the world. And in our interviews, several interviews with her, uh, she did make, I think, just a fundamentally important point, which is as you reach the upper tiers of a company like ICICI or a big hospital or a community organization, you want people below you to think strategically and to exercise leadership. And so she, in recent years, she's been CEO now for several years, has put a huge emphasis. She understands the combination of the two on making certain the next generation and the generation behind them can think strategically and act like a leader. Well, thank you very much for thank you. joining us and, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more about this in the future. Thank you. Thanks. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.